0: If you are in the 81% of aspiring authors out there, stop aspiring and start writing with Reedsy. ReadZ allows indie authors to find and work with the best publishing professionals, from developmental editors to book cover designers to publicists. Just sign up for an author profile, browse the extensive marketplace of professionals, find the best fit for your project, and set a collaboration in motion. And with built-in contracts, protection, and mediation from Readsy, finding qualified freelancers, editors, designers, and marketers as a self-published author just got a lot easier. Go to readsy.com today to sign up and set your first collaboration in motion. That's R-E-E-D-S-Y dot You
1: know, it's always hard. Every new book is always so hard. I still don't really understand how I you know, do it. Writing is about more than just writing, right? That sort of story is inspirational to a lot of wannabe writers out there who feel they have a book in them but are living a totally different life at the moment. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always been fascinated by stories and by technology and by their intersection.
0: Not only can you, but you should start late. Taking a book the whole nine yards, from an idea in your head to words on a page, from a scribble on a napkin to a listing on Amazon, that's easier said than done. But it's also easier than you'd think. I'm your host, Casimir M. Stone, and this is Readsy's Best Seller, the podcast demystifying the process of self publishing a book for aspiring novelists everywhere, one episode at a time. This is Addendum Two The Human Element. Man versus Machine, Monsters versus Robots, Artificial Intelligence versus Humanity. Briefly peruse any science fiction section in your local bookstore, and you might conclude that we have a complicated relationship with technology. In fact, it's one of the oldest tropes in a genre that isn't exactly a spring chicken itself. Sci-fi, SF, speculative fiction, whichever you prefer. It's been around since at least the mid-19th century, when Jules Verne and H.G. Wells published scientific romance classics like War of the Worlds and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea however depending on who you ask the genre's history goes back even further than that back to mary shelley's frankenstein maybe where a scientist god-defying invention turns against him or back to gulliver's travels and its depictions of weird science and alien technology perhaps it even stretches back as far as shakespeare who in the tempest created what many have called the prototypical mad scientist story But personally, I think it goes back even further, past the submarine societies and automata of 1001 nights, past the time travel of the Chronicles of Japan, even past the space travel of the second century satire True History. I think that the history of science fiction stretches all the way back to 2000 BC. A man sets off in search of a tool that will bring him immortality. In many ways, that's the quintessential through-line to all science fiction. This idea of humans and tools, how we use them and how they use us. And it's existed since the Epic of Gilgamesh, not coincidentally the first piece of recorded fiction ever known.
1: As humans, we solve problems with tools, and then those tools wind up shaping how we look at the world.
0: Enter Elliot Pepper, a science fiction author who's found wild success in the internet age. It's funny because talking to him, he doesn't come off as an author on the industry's cutting edge. In many ways, he's very old world. Books
1: have always been a, a way to, to sort of sate my curiosity and, and learn from uh, humanity's greatest thinkers and, and appreciate humanity's greatest storytellers.
0: But the stories Eliot himself has told, and the ways in which they've caught on with the public consciousness, are unmistakably 21st century. His fourth novel, Cumulus, which is essentially about a dystopian Silicon Valley, went viral on Reddit and landed him a book deal. But not with Penguin, not with HarperCollins, with Amazon, no longer just a portal for authors to self-publish, but now a publishing house in its own right and one with unprecedented access to consumer data. Elliot also has an uncanny ability to get coverage in any online outlet you can think of, and he's in the midst of wrangling a movie deal. In other words, he knows how to use tools to tell his stories and to market them without ever losing the humanity behind them.
1: I really think that technology is not something separate from from being human. You know, that tools are actually part of what it means to be human.
0: But he hasn't always been this technologically minded. As we talked, Elliot took me from his childhood spent whole away in libraries to his first forays into sci-fi, which happened to be in the workplace. He talked about his debut novel and the not-so-effective tools he used to market it, and then he talked about the trick he found to making any tool work for you. He talked about a lot of things, and he talked about them very well. So, for the most part, I'm going to let Elliot, take it from here.
1: I was born in Oakland, California, and uh, I've I've always had a love affair with books. You know, there was nothing better than lying on the couch and and being sort of taken on a a journey through a mythical world. And so I've always loved books as a reader. When my parents would bring me to the library, I would hide in the stacks so that they wouldn't be able to find me and to take me home (laughs) afterwards so uh so I've always loved stories I think that stories are powerful stories are a core part of our identity our identity in many ways is, is just a collection of the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and I think that narrative and stories are are how we make sense of the world, and and also how we try to share the lessons we learn. So I've always loved stories. I've always loved books, but I never uh, thought I would be a writer. You know that uh, some kids might dream of being astronauts when they're a child or something like that. Uh, that wasn't that wasn't my dream. And and when I grew up, I. Uh, wound up just being fascinated by many things, so I've always sort of dabbled, and I ended up uh, going to college and graduate school for international affairs, which gave me an excuse to read very widely and um, to learn many different things about about the world. And while I was in graduate school, I got an internship at a, a company, a, a tech startup, that was building uh, these crazy machines that would use plasma gasification to convert trash garbage into clean electricity um it sounds and, like a big sci-fi word that doesn't sound like a real thing yeah yeah it does sound sort of fake right i mean it was very yeah. science fictional in, in, yeah in a way and um my experience there was uh, really influential because it was very hands-on you actually had to we, we had new when you're a small startup trying to commercialize a new piece of science, you you just have this constant parade of problems that you have to solve, whether it's technical, like, you know, something breaks on the machine itself, Um, whether it's financial, like the investors aren't coughing up the money that you need to hit the next milestone, whether it's operational, like I remember one time having to take Plasma torches across the border uh, from San Diego into Tijuana, so that I could fly them to Mexico City for a test at one of the world's largest dumps. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, you're trying to get through customs with plasma torches in your suitcase. <laughs> you know, it's just like constant, right? Like all of these weird right. uh, hoops that you wind up having to jump through. And so, you know, I think that really. Uh, shape how I see the world in the sense that I learn to cultivate a bias to action in myself. So I, I, I learn to not see problems as obstacles so much as opportunities. Um, because, uh, if, if no one's doing it that way, then that means you, you could try, right? And that, that, and if you do and it works, um, you, you might just surprise yourself.
0: Creative problem solving, trying things no one else is doing. Elliot may make it sound science fictional, but I doubt it sounds unfamiliar for any self-published author who's tried everything under the sun to get the word out about their book.
1: One thing that I noticed as I was working for the the fund was that uh, you know there was there's this human element to uh, to trying to you know turn a new discovery into a new business you know often you have these big personalities a lot of ambition uh, for better or for worse often a lot of arrogance right people a lot of hubris you wind up having you know arguments and betrayal and you know wild success and horrific failure and everything in between um and uh, you know at this time this was before startups were sort of as much a part of pop culture as they are today. This was before HBO produced their Silicon Valley series. Um, you know, it was before Mr. Robot. It was before sort of uh, Silicon Valley was such a cultural touchstone. Um, and I always felt that, you know, most of the books written about the process of being in a startup really did it uh Disservice, or at least didn't paint the full picture. Then that's because most of the books about entrepreneurship are business books. Uh, and there are, don't get me wrong, there are some really great business books out there, but there's a lot of crap. And um, the thing that even the good ones often miss is that human experience of what it actually feels like to go through the process of trying to build a startup. And I knew what that experience felt like and how trying it could be, and I wanted to read a novel that 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 used that as a palette, that used that as a uh, background for you know a story of adventure and self-discovery, and I couldn't find one to read. So I actually tried to find that kind of a book to read. You know, I I had an idea for this book that needed to exist in the world, and I couldn't find it. And so, you know, thought to myself, well, hey, you know, maybe I should just try my hand at writing it.
0: Long story short, Elliot identified a problem, a niche in the market that needed to be filled. And he turned to writing, a tool he knew could be used to solve it.
1: So I just opened up Microsoft Word and, and started typing chapter one. And that's how I got started writing fiction.
0: By now, of course, he's written well past chapter one.
1: So the, that first book turned into a trilogy and it followed a uh, pair of college dropouts who start a software company and get caught up in this international conspiracy along the road from garage to IPO. The, the, the next book after that trilogy was a standalone novel called Cumulus, which is a near future speculative thriller that takes place in the San Francisco Bay Area that's sort of uh, ravaged by economic inequality and persistent surveillance. Um, and then uh, there was a standalone after that called Neon Fever Dream, which is a, uh, a an espionage thriller set at Burning Man in the Nevada desert, <laughs> um, which... Which actually, you know, in some ways was sort of funny because it felt just as much like science fiction as writing any of the science fiction stories I've written. Because Burning Man is a world unto itself, so it, that was a really, that was a really fun one. Uh, and then I have a, a second trilogy called the Analog series, and and the, the third and final book of which comes out this May. So it's. Uh, uh, looks at the rise uh, of tech platforms and decline of nation-states and sort of how all of our traditional institutions are uh, are really sort of fraying at, at the themes because a lot of the reasons for which they were constructed in the way they were no longer apply in today's world uh, because technology is sort of changing the given but it does it just like you know the rest of my books from the perspective from a from the perspective of fiction. So looking at it as, you know, as a novelist, what does this mean for how we live our lives in an age of acceleration? And that's
0: really interesting to me because you, uh, you know, it seems like you're writing these stories about technology, but really the focus is like the humanity underneath it. And that seems to kind of parallel your upbringing a little bit too, And that you started by reading a lot, like collecting stories, and then you kind of moved into the technological sphere to that, kind of background and form you're writing it all? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I mean I think that there's sort of like like tools are a fundamental part of what makes humans human, right? Like every single part of my day, every, literally every single thing I do every day is mediated by technology. And that's also true for our great 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 grandparents, right? Like, you know, tool making is this weird thing that humans and a few other animals do but you know we obviously take to a crazy extreme like as humans we solve problems with tools and then those tools wind up shaping how we look at the world so so i I really think that technology is not something separate from from being human you know that tools are actually part of what it means to be human. And so any writer who ignores technology as a part of humanity does so at their own peril.
0: As a writer, Eliot certainly did not ignore technology. So how did he so successfully use tools to solve the one problem that all authors, but especially self-published ones face, getting readers to care about your book? Well, the short answer is he didn't, at least not at first
1: when I was just starting out um, you know I tried a lot of different things because you don't know what's going to work well right like if you if you don't have if you haven't built up a way of looking at the world you need to experiment in order to discover what actually works and so like maybe probably many listeners on this podcast I like tried to read the internet about this and like many of the listeners on this podcast (laughs) uh, discovered that there are, there is an endless stream of people who are happy to dispense ver- like tons of advice about how to market books, how to co- build an audience, how to uh, establish relationships with readers, ha- how to become a bestseller, like all of that kind of stuff, right? So, you know, I, I try, I did a lot of reading, and then I would try things, and then do and see what worked and what didn't. So, like some examples, when the first book came out. Um, We created, uh, we did like standard things you would think about, like posting about the book on social media, uh, uh, you know, running some ad campaigns on Facebook and other places, you know, targeted at uh, books titled by similar authors. We um, created a fake Twitter account for the protagonist in the book and then uh, sort of like arranged behind the scenes to get to have a Twitter fight between her and and someone with a large following whose background was relevant to the story. Um, We uh, created a fake website for the fictional startup in the book, and we also, uh, I wrote, I ghost wrote an op-ed that ran on a major tech website that was like written by the protagonist, right? So it was like fake written by the protagonist. So, uh, so we did a lot of stuff and most of it didn't work, uh, (laughs) like (laughs) a lot of it was fun. Um, like for example, it was really fun to like create a fake website for this. It was like a prop in a movie, right? Like you're like creating an artifact from this fictional universe in the real world. That was a fun, cool thing to do as a creative project. Did it drive sales to the book uh, hell no right
0: that's like, crazy it's, because like listening to it if i stumbled onto that i feel like i'd read that book in a heartbeat but how would you stumble onto it how would i stumble onto it in one sentence elliot perfectly summed up the problem facing all indie authors you can pour your heart and soul into a book but without perfect marketing perfect use of tools maybe even perfect luck there's a chance no one will even care.
1: Uh, so I did a lot. Most of it didn't work. Um, and, and eventually, over time, you know, I've narrowed down on the things that I think do work. Or, uh, let me make that a caveat and say, the things that have worked for me. Um, because one of the things you will find as you maybe are going from being an aspiring to an experienced writer is you'll meet other writers. And you'll very quickly discover that anyone who is making a living writing or, you know, whatever your version of success is uh, that you're trying to seek by marketing your work, um, uh, that so many come to it from a totally heterogeneous path, right? So it's like you have all these you can ask all these different people about how they did it and all of their answers are true and all of their answers are different from each other. So the first thing I would say, if you are trying to think about how to market your own book is, uh, don't take my word for it. Do your, run your own experiments, do whatever crazy stuff you can come up with, and see what works for you, because it may, maybe you will be the writer who should make a fictional website <laughs> or a real website based on something from their novel, and it'll totally work and explode.
0: In other words, marketing, technology, tools, it's all circumstantial. Everything we do requires trial and error, and nothing guarantees it'll work the same for you as it has for someone else. But there is one tool that we all have access to.
1: I think that books succeed when readers tell other readers about them.
0: And that, of course, is the human element.
1: If you're a writer and you're releasing your very first book, um, what do you do, right? Like, if you you don't already have fans, right? Right. So you don't necessarily have people who are set up who are just going to be just begging to read your book and talk about it right so what do you do Um, it turns out that you do something pretty similar or at least i do something pretty similar um, even when you're much later in your career and you have a group of loyal fans who love your stuff and that is you just try to you try to get your manuscript or your book you want to share that with as many people as you can who have a very specific reason to take a chance on it.
0: I asked Elliot what that tool looks like in use.
1: So I'll give you a good example of what not to do. Don't buy an email list and spam them with a copy-pasted email about why they should read your book, right, and that they should blurb it, or I don't know, something like that, right? That's not a good idea
0: makes sense, right? Treat your readers like humans. It hardly bears repeating, except that in an age of technology where your interactions with readers can often be boiled down into a Twitter handle or a purchase on Amazon, it's surprisingly easy to forget. But then Elliot told me a story that effectively summed up why no matter how our tools advance or our technology evolves, no matter what the future holds, some things will never change
1: my launch day for cumulus you know i i send out i have a newsletter a reading recommendations newsletter that a lot of my uh, fans sign up for where i just share books i love and so when i have a new book come out i send out a special uh, email that's just like hey look like well if you like the books i recommend you might like the book that i just wrote <laughs> i put my heart and soul into it so um so you know i send that out um You know, uh, if I've shared the book, like with Cumulus, I had shared the book with some advanced readers. So people who were particularly excited about it or who I wanted input on, um, you know, before the book came out. And so I, I, you know, on launch day, I would email them and say, Hey, the book's out if you want to share it, um, or if you want to post an Amazon review, that kind of thing. Um, and then I put a, put up a Facebook post. Hey. I wrote a book guys. Right. <laughs> um, and, and a blog post, but that's about it. Right. Like that. Those are at least the channels over with the channels through which I can, I communicate with my audience. Um, it's mostly email and, and some social media like Twitter and Facebook, um, and, and blog. So that's what I did. But when I, I woke up that morning and I was, eating granola for breakfast and sipping on a coffee. Um, you know, I checked my inbox, uh, on the morning that Cumulus came out and the first, uh, email in my inbox had this like all cap subject line that was like Cumulus film TV rights. I was like, what? like, what, what is, what, what is that? And I opened the email and it's from a major production company, um, you know, film and television production company saying, uh, you know, who owns the rights to this book, uh, you know, are the film rights still available? We'd be really interested in, you know, in, in basically trying to do something with it. And I was like, wow, that is really cool, but very disorienting. Um, you know, especially given that it's a self-published book that came out a few hours ago, clearly they hadn't read it. <laughs> right? like, I mean, <laughs> like I don't know what's going on, uh, throughout that morning, like, i don't know a dozen more emails like that came in and and so i was very confused i mean i was delighted right no, like it was amazing and sort of shocking uh, but i also was extremely confused and that confusion didn't resolve itself until a friend texted me a screenshot of reddit uh and he's like hey your book hit front page on reddit And I was like, "Uh, what does that mean? And he was kind enough to enlighten me and explain that, you know, hitting front page on Reddit means you're getting tens and tens of thousands of views. Um, And uh, some random reader had uh, shared a review that Ars Technica, the website, ran uh, on Cumulus that went out that morning. And, And so it just, the internet sort of like randomly, like cumulus won the internet dice roll that day. Um, and so that was a really wild experience. And I, I think there are two things to learn from that. So we've already talked about one of those things, which is just sharing work you're proud of with people you care about. So how did that uh, how did that email actually wind up in my inbox? Well, Someone, re- you know, read that review on Ars Technica and decided to share it because they thought it was cool, not because I asked them to or knew who they were. Um, secondly, the review itself—why? How did that review get written? Well, it turns out that months before, I had randomly met a guy in a bar. <laughs> um, we were both there for an event, uh, and. Uh, I was having a beer. It was actually a friend. A friend was speaking at this bar, and so I was there to support my friend. And I go to grab a beer at the bar, and I start chatting with the guy next to me at the bar. And you know, we end up. I turns out he's a reporter, a writer, and and so I said, "Oh, well, what do you, you know, what you're a journalist? What's your beat?" And he was telling me how he writes all about cybersecurity and privacy and surveillance and all this stuff. And you know, I've been fascinated by that stuff for a long time. And I, you know, so I was asking a lot of questions about it. We had this great conversation. He's like, oh, so what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm also a writer, but I write novels. Um, and he's like, oh, like what kind of novels? And I'm like, well, actually, uh, you know, I, I'm in edits on a man- – because this was before the book, you know, months before the book came out. Um, I was like, I'm in edits on a manuscript that is a science fiction story about privacy and surveillance and text. So it's sort of crazy that you – you report on this, and, and I sort of write novels about it. And uh, and I started starting to scri- describe the book to him, and he interrupted me, and he started, uh, he was like, wait. And then he started describing very in-depth details about the book and the secondary characters in the book and plot points and world-building, and I was like, hold on, man. like How do you know this? Like Only like eight people on Earth... Have seen this word document right like my editor a few of my beta readers for whom you know who give me feedback on my rough draft like there are like eight people in the world probably who have actually seen this document how is it possible that a random guy at a bar has read my unpublished novel <laughs> and he laughed and he was like well i was i was uh, i had breakfast with this guy named Tim O'Reilly yesterday. And he was telling me all about it. He was just telling me about this book that he was reading that's about privacy and surveillance in the Bay Area and how much he loved it. And I was like, holy cow. So how, how did that happen? Well, Tim O'Reilly runs a publishing house in the Bay Area um, called, well, actually more than a publishing house, a media company called O'Reilly Media. And he's a really... Uh, he, he's seen as, you know, sort of like a really prescient thinker about technology. He's been a sex, successful tech entrepreneur and investor, but he's also very literary. He's, he's written he's written a lot, he's published a ton of books, and he writes a lot. He writes a ton of essays as well as his own books. And a few months earlier, I had read an essay of his that I found really affecting because it was about economic inequality in the San Francisco Bay Area and what that the challenges that that presents for society here. And so I had sent him a cold email. I'd never met him before. Um, I would sent him a cold email just explaining what his essay meant to me and, uh, and, uh, why, you know, why it made me think certain things in the way it did and, and explained that I was working on this book that, that was, uh, wrestling with those same issues. And he asked to read it. And so I sent him, you know, just the Word document, just like I had sent it to my editor. Um, And I knew that because he worked in publishing, he knew, you know, some people don't really know a lot about the publishing process, but I knew that he would understand that it's a rough draft and, you know, he's reading a really early version. And, um, And I actually hadn't heard back from him. Like, I had sent it over and that was it, right? Like, we hadn't corresponded since. And, um, and then, you know, I heard from Saru in the bar, the the reporter who, who was like, yeah, I just had breakfast with him. He, you know, he's super, I really want to read this book. And I was like, well, of course I'll send you a copy. So I sent the reporter a copy, um, you know, a couple months before the book came out and the reporter ended up writing a review of the book that came out on launch day, which is the review that was shared on Reddit, which is the, you know, Reddit post that went viral, which, is why i received that email on the day females came out um so that's a great example of trying to do work you're proud of doing your very best work when you're writing the book and producing the book right really caring about what you're writing about is the bridge that will allow you to connect with other people about the story you put together and then sharing the work you're proud of with people you actually care about like I was not spamming Tim O'Reilly or anyone else with, uh, I don't know, like salesy marketing speak about why they should read this. I actually had learned a lot from Tim's essay, and that was mostly what I wrote to him about, and then just mentioned that I was working on a book that also grappled with this, right? And offered to share it with him. And so, You know, that's an example of that, but it's also an example of something else that I think is extremely important for anyone, you know, putting creative work out into the world, which is that so much of this is totally beyond your control, right? Like, me sending that draft to Tim in no way preordained Cumulus going viral or the fact that that ended up, like, really making the book, helping the book reach many more readers. Like, it wasn't like I had somehow engineered this as a growth hacking strategy on the back end as I was doing it, um, I had no clue. And I've done a million things, none of which resulted in uh, randomly becoming the eye of the internet storm for half a day. And so if you're doing creative work and you want to try to bring it to the world and to make it commercially successful, the important part is not to try to engineer success or try to reverse engineer the story I just told you. The important thing to do is to do your best work and then share it with people you care about. And that's the only way that you get more at bat. You know, you get more chances to win. But if you do it over time, if you think about your effort as an artist, as a long-term thing that you're doing as a practice because you care about doing important work that you want to bring into the world, then that doesn't matter. The timing doesn't matter. The the important thing is the work itself. And so, you know, focus on doing the work, focus on doing your best work and sharing it with people you care about, and then uh, really be, be open to luck when it strikes.
0: That, then, is the human element. In science and writing in life, you're going to encounter a lot of problems, a lot of obstacles, and a lot of circumstances, which you may not be able to overcome no matter the tools at your disposal. But doing something you genuinely care about and making genuine connections with people who will care about it, that will always give you another chance to roll the dice.
1: You could reach out to them and you could say, not just like, please review my book. You could reach out and say, hey, look, you really love X, Y, and Z books for these reasons, and I actually also really love those books. And, you know, I'm a a first-time novelist, but my book, I think, really appeals to the same readership as those three books that you really love. Um, You know, I know you probably get a lot of outreach from authors who want to share their work, but, you know, I You know, I figured that this might actually pique your fancy because it's so clearly in the Venn diagram of your interests. You know, the center of that Venn diagram that you might really get a kick out of it. Can I send you a copy? Right.
0: So, so even in marketing, it's about the the human element.
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, yes. I mean, I think that any effective marketing is about the human element. You know, many of my readers buy every book I've ever written. Right. Like for them. these books matter to them so like they matter to me remember that you if you're writing a novel or a nonfiction book you're you're telling a story right and then once that book is done you have to write another story and that story that that is the story of the book if you want to share your work with the world the story of your story is very important it, it all goes back to the bottom line, which is that readers, books succeed when readers tell other readers about them. What you're doing is you are seeding a small community of readers that might love your book, right? And if they do, you don't have to do anything about it. If you find those people, you don't need to harass them with tons of email. Follow- hey, did you read it? Did you read it? What did you think? Can you please share it for me? You, know, like, you don't have to ask them for right. favors. Like, if they really love your book, like, they're going to tell people about it because they love it, right? So your job is not to try to pressure them to to love it. Your job is to correctly identify the people who might really love your work.
0: Ever since 2000 BC, we've been writing science fiction, trying to predict what the future will hold. Some things, however, will never change.
1: Like, imagine if you're a storyteller 5,000 years ago and you're sitting around an open fire, right? Like, you are you get to look at those people. You get to look at your audience. They are right there. You They know you. You guys know each other. So when you're telling a story, you have that dynamism between you and the audience. And even though... My audience today is mediated through technology, like we were talking about before, through the amazing technology that is paper books. Like, um, I try to think about my readers as all of us sitting around an open fire.
0: Brought to you by Readsy, this is Best Seller. Over the course of these addendums, we'll check in with a handful of indie authors to get their unique takes on the journey to self-publication. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by me, Casimir M. Stone. If you liked it, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Our guest today was Elliot Pepper. You can purchase his books on Amazon or on his website at com. That's Elliot with only one L and pepper with only two Ps.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at Elliot Pepper. This podcast, like so many self-published books out there, is made possible by Readsy, a marketplace that connects indie authors with the tools that traditional publishing houses would usually provide, such as editors, book cover designers, and publicists. You can learn more about Readsy on Instagram at readzy underscore HQ, on Twitter at readzyhq, or online at REE And please keep your eyes peeled for more addendum episodes as well as the premiere of our second season coming soon to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the podcatcher of your choice.